It is possible to stumble through the Christian life unfaithfully. It is possible to stumble through the Christian life unfaithfully. Before I get started, one of the things I want to I say is, you know, in the, prep, in the course of preparing for sermons, this is true of both Pastor Ben and myself, we do, we do reading from different authors and sources, I listen to different preachers, and I usually don't say at the beginning, you know, I got, I got help from this, this book or this author or this preacher, because to be honest with you, it would become excessive. Uh, but this morning, I do want to give credit somewhere. I was early this morning, uh, while my back and I were arguing, I was listening to a sermon on this passage by a gentleman named Dr. Jordan Rogers, who is a Baptist preacher I've been blessed by before, and um, he, uh, he brought some things to my attention that caused me to, uh, to take another look at the passage. You're getting a little bit of a different message than I intended to before this morning, and I want to give credit where credit is due. It is possible to stumble through the Christian life unfaithfully. See, this is what happens when you accept Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. Or perhaps you, you take him as Lord, you commit to him, but you do not live in a way that shows it or is consistent with his lordship. As we said last week, this is what it looks like when, when you live a life trying to rest or take blessings from God, trying to earn or make your own way by your own power into things that God perhaps has not called you to have. The problem with this, as we'll see in our story today, is that the greatest blessings can only be given. They cannot be earned. They cannot be taken or won. They're gifts. The grace that God gives us is a gift. And spending our life trying to win it or take it is to live unfaithfully. And when you live this way, unfaithfully, you tend to hurt the people around you. We'll see that this morning, too. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. It will be on the screen, um, and I will be going through the New Living Translation. So if you're accustomed to following along with a pew Bible or with whatever translation you have, it will be different. I do that because in these long stories, the New Living Translation just reads a little bit easier. But if you'd like to follow along, I want to give you time to get there. Genesis 27. As we talk about faith, one of the things that, that I need to say about faith is, as we read our Bible, a lot of the times the synonyms for faith are belief and trust. And those, those are good synonyms for faith. They're attempts to find a verb to go with that noun, faith. One of the words that I, I like a lot is allegiance or loyalty. We, we say it in our responsive reading, our giving our highest allegiance to the Lord. Of course, we give allegiance to other things too, but, but that highest loyalty, that first allegiance belongs to God. That's what faith is. Another way to say it is that it's belief plus obedience, right? So it's, it's a believing thing, but then it's also an obeying thing. Both of those pieces come together to form what the Bible calls faith. Now, to, to not have obedience, it's what I'm calling this morning unfaithfulness. Now, I'm not saying that the person who is being unfaithful 
doesn't belong to the Lord or is unsaved or is a non-Christian. In fact, if it was that easy, we would be kind of let off the hook. If we could live any way that we wanted to and know that that was perfectly fine within the, the realm of faith, then that would mean that, that there wasn't a calling on our life to follow Jesus and live as he calls us to. But there is, and it is possible for a Christian to stumble through life unfaithfully. And while the story we're reading from is not about Christians specifically, it definitely applies to us today as well. Some background on Genesis chapter 27. We talked about a few chapters ago that when uh, Rebecca was pregnant, she had some trouble in her pregnancy, and she goes to the Lord and she inquires because this, blessing, this pregnancy was a blessing from God. And she says, God, if this is an answer to prayer, how could it now be experiencing trouble? And she hears from him that she has twins in her, that that's probably why the, the trouble has come, and, and that there's going to be something unusual about these twins. God says to her then that the older will serve the younger. And this is a flipping upside down of the, what the culture would expect. Normally, the younger would serve the older, right? The older would be considered first in priority. But God says it's going to be different with these two. And we see how that kind of plays out into the way that Rebecca treats Jacob. And Isaac, he favors the elder son. He favors Esau. We're not sure if that's because he wants to rebel against what God has, has said or if he's just unaware. But we see that Isaac favors Esau and Rebekah favors Jacob. Kind of favoritism that we do not recommend parents show today. Now, another thing that I want you to hear here, this story is about a blessing and there's a lot, that go, a lot of worry and work that goes into attaining a blessing. The patriarchs in the Bible have a role that's unique. And one part of that is they have almost this prophetic role. Nobody doubts that when Isaac gives his blessing, that it matters. These aren't just words spoken with no effect. This is one of the ways God intends to bless Isaac's son is through, sons, is through the giving of Isaac's blessing. That's something that's interesting and unique to the patriarchs. Now remember, Jacob has already swindled Esau out of his birthright, and now in our story today, he's going to use deception to steal Isaac's blessing from his brother. Jacob and his mom believe that God's promised a blessing to Jacob, but the thing of it is, the blessing that's been promised, they're not willing to wait or rely on God to fulfill it. They're going to try to do that on their own. And this is what unfaithfulness can cause us to do, to chase after the wrong blessings. And when we do that, almost always there's collateral damage. So let's look at this story. We're going to go through bit by bit. We're going to start with verses 1 through 4, Genesis 27. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. 
Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. As we said, Isaac is a patriarch, and he sees it as his responsibility to bless his sons before he dies. Now, there's some wisdom from Isaac here that I think is important for us to take. This is kind of an aside, but it is an important one. Isaac does not know when he'll die. In fact, we know he lives at least 20 years longer than this from the rest of the story. But he's aware that he doesn't know how long he's going to live. And he desires to take care of some things that he needs to do before he goes. In other words, he is not taking as a guarantee that he will have tomorrow to do it. One thing about our culture is we spend so much time trying really hard not to think about death. And I think that we miss something important and precious when we do that. One part of that is I think we lose track of how important every single day is because we do not have an infinite number of them. Our time here is precious and important because it does not last forever. We will last forever. Christians never die as far as end. We go to sleep, as the Apostle Paul says, because one day we will awaken and live forever with our Lord in heaven. But our time here does come to an end. And it's important to not wait till it's too late to have the conversations you want to have, the moments you want to have, to say the things that you want to say. One of the things we've talked about before is we have these funeral planning sheets up here in the front. And I recommend, even if you think that it's nowhere near for you, to take one and to write down things like your favorite Bible verses, the hymns that mean the most to you, the people you'd like to say something at your service. Because it helps us to think of ourselves as having a time when we won't be here anymore, to see our days as precious and important. And also, it helps our family, if that time comes when we're not expecting it, to have that sheet that helps us make those decisions. Now, back to the story. And this is important. What Jacob is about to do does not make him the good guy here. We can read this story and we can think, well, God has promised a blessing to Jacob, and Jacob does whatever he can to make sure he gets it, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? And the answer, I think clearly, is no. There actually doesn't really appear to be a good guy in this story. Isaac is going against God's intentions. Esau's already given away his birthright, and then he blames everybody else for what happens. Rebecca and Jacob scheme and plot. There's not a, there's not a, a person for us to emulate in this story. But... What should have happened, even if Isaac intends to give away to Esau something God intends for Jacob, God is God. And the right thing to do would have been for Jacob to trust that the blessing promised to him by the Lord, the Lord would deliver. But he doesn't. He wants to acquire it on his own cleverness. So, we also know Jacob's not the good guy here because very clearly, in the stories coming later, we see that the trickster gets tricked. That happens more than once, and he doesn't seem to really learn his lesson until God comes to him and wrestles with him 
all night. And we see a change happen in Jacob after that, but it takes a confrontation with God to really wake him up. He's not here, the person we should emulate. Verses 5 to 17. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. What this is, is a premeditated deception put on by Jacob and Rebekah. Sin tends to come in two categories. We tend to have those sins that, that happen in the moment. There's no plan, but in a moment of panic or in the moment of weakness, we make a choice that we know does not honor the Lord. And we are called to, to grow and to become more like Jesus and to rely on him moment by moment so that those do not happen. But there's also this other kind of sin, and it's the one we see happening in the story today. It's the one where we know exactly how wrong the thing we're planning to do is. We know the Lord's opinion and desire about it, and yet still we set our hearts on a thing which does not honor him. If we're being honest with ourselves, I think we would find shockingly often when we sin it's something we thought about ahead of time knew we ought not do and find ourselves then in the midst of and what we're going to see here is that the lord gives jacob opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn back that's what often happens with a premeditated sin and he does not take it Going on, verse 11. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. Actually, the Hebrew just says, and I am smooth, and it's kind of interesting because it works in two ways. Not only is his skin smooth, but we're going to see exactly how smooth Jacob is here in a moment. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin from the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. You are committing if you cover your skin with goat skin. Jacob is committed to this. And it's, it's important to see, as he makes objections, he's not actually against deceiving his father. He just wants to make sure that he doesn't get caught. This isn't Jacob being unsure of whether or not they ought to do it. He's only wanting to make real sure if they do it, they do it well, because he doesn't want to get caught, which in the end is foolish. There's no way this will go without his father knowing. But what we see here and are reminded of is how important it is 
to be righteous, to resist temptation, even when we're sure no one will know. You see, sometimes we have this thought that I will get away with it so long as no one knows. One of the things I've heard Pastor Ben say many times, and I I think there's just so much wisdom in it, is that we never get away with sin. Even if we feel like it's hidden and it's secret, there's still an effect on us, a guilt which we have added to ourselves. Now, it's forgiven, it's removed from us, as far as the East is from the West, but we carry it, don't we? In those moments when we come before the Lord, so often our conscience is heavy with the things we've done that we know we ought not to have. And also, when we act in secret against the will of God, it becomes easier for us to do it the next time, and then easier still the next time. This is spiritual formation. It's habit-forming. And we, spirit, we are spiritually formed to be more like Jesus or to be less like him when we allow temptation to take hold of us and to succumb to it because we think we're going to get away with it. We will not. Not only does sin have an effect on us, it tends to have an effect on the people around us as well. We never get away with it, and Jacob isn't going to get away with it either. And all of this is happening. All of this is happening because they're pursuing the wrong blessing. Their hearts are set on something other than what they should be set on. Pleasing the Lord, trusting in him to deliver what he's promised, should be Rebecca and Jacob's priority, and instead they scheme to swindle something that isn't theirs to have. I think that's true of us so often as well. Material goods are are not bad. In fact, they are a blessing from God. But so often we set our hearts on things that make us comfortable or momentarily happy. And when we pursue those as though they're of the same importance as the blessings God gives or desires or has called us to, sin is always the result. What's the blessing you're most tempted to pursue even when God hasn't called you to it? Is it money? Is it food? Is it a pleasure you ought not have? Is it a momentary joy that comes from something like gossip? Is it the power you feel from being angry? What is the pleasure or the the temptation or the blessing you pursue even though God has not yet called or has not called you to it, has not offered it to you? And I think that we'll find whatever those, those pleasures are, even if the thing itself is not bad, like material possessions or money, we'll find that it's our pursuit of them that leads us again and again to sin. Now, I want to look at verses 18 to 29. And we'll see here those chances to turn back. As I go through this passage, I count six deceptions that Jacob gives his father. Six times he deceives him. And each one of them is a time where he could have said, wait, this isn't right, and I'm sorry. Verses 18 to 29. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, 
Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, and here's the first lie. It's Esau, your firstborn son. Here's the second. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And here's the doozy. The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Now we are quite some time before Moses hears, or before the people of God hear from him the Ten Commandments, before Moses receives the covenant. Right? The, the commandment not to misuse the name of the Lord has not yet been given. However, Jacob knows this is wrong. To attribute something to God which is not from him is blasphemy. It's a big deal. This is how committed Jacob is to this. May we never, never let ourselves pretend that it is actually for God's purposes that we are seeking a thing he has not called us to. Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. That's the next deception. Jacob's hands hairy with the goat skin. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau? He asked. And we see here Jacob's words get fewer. Because Isaac is unsure and Jacob knows it. So he gives short responses and he lies again. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. And we're unsure here if Isaac is still trying to figure out which boy this is. It is interesting that he knows Jacob well enough to know to be a little suspicious. It doesn't seem like this is unique to Jacob. Like this is part of his character. This swindling is something Isaac is suspicious of. But then Jacob goes over and kisses him, and we get the final deception. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. And then he gives his blessing from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth. May God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. This blessing he gives reminds us of the blessing that is given to Abraham by God in Genesis 12 and 15. Moving on a little further. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from the hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your firstborn son. It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. 
Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me, too, he begged. But Isaac said, Your brother was here, and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, No wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I've made Jacob your master, and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I've guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, But do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. We see here this blessing that he gives to Esau. It's, there's, there's echoes of the, the statements that God made about Cain and the statements God made about Ishmael. This isn't so much a blessing as a declaration of what Esau's life is going to be like. But then at the end, this, this decide to break free, we actually see happen in Scripture. Edom, the people that, that come from Esau in 2 Kings, we see that they begin to... to have a period of independence. We see it again in Amos 9. This promise here is kept. They do throw off Israel or their oppressors at different times. So their blessing is here, but it's small. It's mostly a promise of struggle and difficulty. So what's the result of all this? What happens? The first thing for, that we notice here is, is, is we notice that even though Deception is what's happening here. Even though everybody fails, Isaac goes against God's will. Esau has been irresponsible. Jacob and Rebekah are swindling. We see God can use these imperfect, broken people to bring about incredible things. Jacob is still a patriarch. He's still so important to the story that God is telling, the people that God is forming. In fact, his name later becomes Israel. He's a vital part of the story as flawed and sinful and broken as he is. The promise there is that you and I, no matter how many times we make mistakes, no matter how many times we've messed up, never do we come to a point where God can no longer use us. In fact, God's blessings are given when we imperfectly follow him. Without fail, still God finds a way to accomplish his will. It doesn't rely on our goodness or perfection for God to do what he intends to do. And thank goodness. Thank goodness that I don't have to be perfect for God to use me. Can anyone relate to that? That as we look into our own hearts and we realize, as we mature in the faith and we become more and more aware of the places where we struggle. And I think that does come with maturity. Early on in the Christian life, you, you may not know very well how you struggle with sin, but as you wrestle over and over and over again to follow Jesus, you find it's revealed to you, I struggle here and here and here. 
And we often live in hope that no one around us realizes what's going on inside of us because we're just sure they'd reject us if they knew. But God does know, and he's not thwarted by it. His good purposes are not stimmied by our lack of obedience. Just because we do other than what he's called us to does not mean God cannot use us. What I want you to take from that is this. I hear from people sometimes that they're just not sure God wants anything to do with them any longer because they've done wrong, because they feel so much guilt, because they've sinned, and not just sinned in a way that they think is small, but they realize that what they've done is not small. Hear me, if that's you, if you're wrestling today with whether or not God is going to use you to do incredible things, if you're wrestling with whether or not God can still accept you into his family and love you unconditionally, if you're wrestling with whether or not you can still be his child and saved because of what you've done, hear me, trust me, you are not so strong that you can yank yourself away from God by making mistakes. If we repent, if we turn back to him, there is always forgiveness. And he will use us, even in our imperfections, to do good. Now we know from this story, and from the times that it's talked about, Jacob isn't actually blessed here, more than he already was. He doesn't gain anything. The Apostle Paul in Romans 9 tells us that this blessing was already given to him before he was born. Jacob gains nothing from all this swindling beyond what God was going to give him, and that is true for us too. Whatever we gain from our pursuits that don't honor the Lord, those blessings pale in comparison to what God has already promised us. But the deception does great harm to their family. After this, Jacob is going to have to flee because his brother is so angry he's going to kill him. He has to flee for his life. And he stays away a long time. The brothers do not reunite until it's almost time for them to bury their father. Their whole life as a family is disrupted. We see that Jacob learns bad lessons from thinking he gets away with it here, and God has to teach him not to wrestle with him. And even later, even after Jacob wrestles with God, his sons deceive him and sell off their brother into slavery. And then even that brother deceives with the younger one again so that Jacob has to go to Egypt. Being tricked happens again and again in Jacob's life. It's the effect sin has on those around you. So what does God promise us that we don't need to plot or scheme or try to get on our own power. He promises us so many things. Those of us who belong to Jesus, who have accepted him as Lord and Savior, are promised eternal life. But that's not eternal just about the, the length. is not the only thing that's important about eternal life. It's life that comes from heaven. It's full and rich and abundant. The promise we have when we receive the Holy Spirit is that we will be changed to be like him. 
will get to participate, to have this heavenly life, even here as we live. The greatest blessing we can be given, the promise of salvation, and the change to be more like Jesus, it's present for us already, and there is no greater gift, there is no better blessing than those. The gospel is about forgiveness and life. We don't get more forgiveness or more life by trying to earn it, by trying to swindle for it, by trying to to get as much as we can. And the small things, the material things we spend our time seeking after, they do not benefit us in the grand scheme of things. Better by far is what God promises, forgiveness and life. The struggle for all of us is to follow Jesus as Lord as well as Savior. Sometimes we can become so comfortable with the Savior peace, we lose track of the Lord peace. Sometimes we can rely so much on the fact that we belong to him, we can can let go of our need to follow and obey. May we as Christians remember that faith means belief, and obedience. May we follow Jesus wherever he leads and not try to get hold of the things he has not offered to us. May we learn to be content and joyful with the life God has called us to and the blessings that he has given. But when we stumble and fall, and we will, may we never think that we've fallen so far that God can't reach us that he no longer wants us, that somehow we've wrested ourselves away from him because he is always there. He always loves and he will always forgive. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. Lord, we ask today that you would draw our attention to the parts of our heart that chase after things you don't want us to have. Whether it be making a priority out of material wealth, whether it be pleasure that dishonors you, whatever the case may be, Help us to see it and repent of it, Lord. Help us to joyfully accept the life that you offer. The promise of eternity with you, but then also a life of relationship with you, of growing to be more like you, being changed by the power of the Spirit, and being used by you. And Lord, when we stumble, remind us that you are always there, that our sins were forgiven before they were committed, that, Lord, we are never far from you. We pray these things in your Son's holy and precious name.
Amen.